Hello again, everybody. Let's pray before we come to the Lord's Word. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that you would fashion us into your likeness. And especially, Lord, you are the God of mission. I pray that you would fashion us into that likeness that loves this world and goes into it with joy and confidence in the gospel we have to proclaim. Amen. We are just going to be focusing on the the first three of those verses that we had read for us, uh, 19 to 21. It's a short passage, but it is a great one. In fact, I believe that in these three verses, you see one of the pivot moments in all of human history. One of the most significant moments which has ever happened because up until this point in the book of Acts, as you've been reading, the vast majority of people who have started to follow Jesus have been from a Jewish background. Now, God has opened the door for others. You remember uh, Philip the Evangelist met that guy from Ethiopia. Last week, we read about Peter meeting Cornelius. There have also been some Samaritans who had a, a long and complicated history with the, uh, the Jewish faith. But it's been small numbers. A door's been opened. But today is the day when large, large numbers of non-Jewish people, Gentile people, as it says there in your footnote, it says Greeks, that is Greek-speaking non-Jews, large numbers of those people come to faith in Jesus, the Messiah. They realize he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the hope of the world. And I personally am incredibly thankful for this passage because as far as I'm aware, I don't have any background, any Jewish background at all. But that carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus Christ, has changed me in more beautiful ways than I could begin to explain. And I will quite literally be forever thankful that this happened, that the good news of Jesus Christ broke through amongst Gentiles like me. And today we read the story of that breakthrough and the people that God used to do it. So have a look with me. Who are these history makers, world shakers, paradigm shifters, bold pioneers? It doesn't tell you. Absolutely no idea. You don't get their names, don't get where they're from. Well, actually, you get a bit of that. But you don't get how many there were. You don't get what their jobs were. We're just told these tiny little details about them. But from those details, we can reconstruct a little bit of the background. We know that these people who saw this breakthrough were Jewish, but they hadn't grown up in the land of Israel. In those days, there were Jewish communities scattered all around the Mediterranean. So they'd grown up in the Greek-speaking world. But at some point, they'd traveled back to Israel, maybe to visit family, maybe for a religious festival. And when they were there, they found in Jerusalem that everyone was talking about one thing. There were rumors on every street corner, in every gathering, everyone was talking about this Jesus. And popping up on the street corners and in the temple courts, there were men from the north preaching that they had known this Jesus, that he'd been killed by the Romans, but that he'd been raised to life again. 
And in these people, they saw a, a, a confidence and a joy which they'd never seen before. These apostles were preaching that Jesus was alive again and that in Jesus, all the promises, all those massive promises from the Old Testament of uh, forgiveness from sin, of a destruction of death itself, all those promises were fulfilled in this one man, Jesus Christ. And this group of people who'd grown up all over the Mediterranean world, come back to Jerusalem, believed this message. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in Jerusalem in those days? Just people cramming together in tiny houses, listening to these eyewitnesses, talking about everything that Jesus had done and said and taught, and going down the river, watching hundreds of people getting baptized. Can you imagine that? So many people are getting baptized, your arms aching at the end of the day. And maybe they saw, or at least they'll have heard rumors of these miracles that the apostles were doing to show God's way of, of putting his stamp of approval on this. That this is God's work. This is the new age breaking in that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Can you imagine the excitement? And then, can you imagine the feeling when you realize not everyone is happy with this new teaching, that the religious authorities, the tensions are ratcheting up, and eventually the religious authorities grab Stephen, one of the local, one of the, um, the leaders of this new church, they drag him outside the city and they, they pelt him with stones till the life flows from his body. Can you imagine the feeling when the persecution turns towards you and your family. Some of you don't need to imagine that. Some of you have been there, but the rest of us will need to just think ourselves into their shoes. How must that feel? When you've got to grab your belongings in the middle of the night and get out of Jerusalem as fast as possible. These people spread all over the, the Roman Empire. They go all over the place. And some of them turn up in Antioch, which was a city in modern-day Turkey, right near the Syrian border. And they're scared, they feel lost, they don't know anyone there, they've had to abandon all this security, and they've gone from this utter spiritual high to feeling completely desperate, to being refugees, homeless, jobless, everythingless. And they end up in this city, and you would not blame them at all if they decided just to kind of get on with life, try and rebuild, Avoid the trouble that they got into in Jerusalem for this message. But miraculously, they don't. They start to speak. Something about this good news has grabbed them so completely that they cannot keep quiet. They speak up to their fellow Jews, but they also share this message with non-Jews, with Gentiles. And they find themselves joining in, in the most amazing way, what God is doing in the world. And there's an awful lot in these three verses, but I just want to draw our attention to three things this morning, which I hope will be an encouragement to you. The first one is this. Um, this God is using everyday people. God is using ordinary people 
to take his message forward. I know you've had a series of interviews on your Sunday mornings, uh, interviewing people from the church family and hearing how they have been joining in God's mission in their everyday lives. I think you've been calling it, is it Everyday Missionaries? What a great title. These guys here, Acts 11, these are your original everyday missionaries. They weren't sent out as missionaries. They weren't sent out as church planters. They're not apostles. They're not designated evangelists or anything like that. They're ordinary people. They end up in Antioch because of persecution. They've not gone there with a view of planting a church. But they've made themselves available to God. And God has used them in incredible ways. And he so often loves to do that. Uh, in the city I live in, uh, there were hardly any believers at all until the 1990s. But one of the first steps forward for the church there was this. There were these two sisters who were orphans. They were unmarried, which in that culture at the time put you kind of pretty low in the social pile. Uh, one of them was quite badly disabled. They were from a very poor background. They themselves were refugees in Western Europe. And in Western Europe, they heard the gospel. They returned to Kosovo with this passion for their people. And even though they have no money, they've got no power, they've got nothing going for them, they faithfully make Jesus known. And a small group of people believes. And as we say, in our city, there's still only a very small number of people who follow the Lord Jesus. But many of them first came to faith through one of these two sisters. God just used them in incredible ways. He loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that is good news for us as well. There is no person in this room that God cannot use for his plans and purposes. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be an incredible street preacher or an evangelist or anything like that. But I'm convinced that there is a role for every single one of us here. And I can't tell you what your role is because, this is the beauty of it, it's incredibly specific. God loves to use you with your particular gifts, your particular place in life, your particular network of relationships. The way he wants to use you is so specific and so unique. You, you need to ask him about it. You need to pray seriously. Dare to ask that he would show you the work he has for you. And then get on with doing it. And the two things I've learned again and again and again. Joining in with the work of God means two things. It does mean sacrifice. These people, it was a sacrifice for them to speak up. The gospel had got them in a lot of trouble in Jerusalem. They turn up in a new city and they're ready to go again. They're ready to take that sacrifice again. But also, joining in the work of God is a great privilege and a great joy. There's no drudgery here. There's no, it's not boring. It's not restrictive or repressive. There is a great freedom and great delight when we find ourselves joining in the work of God in the world. So that's the first thing. God loves to use ordinary people. The second thing I want us to notice here is this. God can give a missionary heart. Like I say, these people, 
are Jewish background. The ones who ended up in Antioch, they are from a Jewish background. They turn up and they start off speaking the word to their fellow Jews. But some of them see the Gentiles walking around, going to their temples, worshipping their gods, their statues, cold, lifeless, dead. And they start to think, something breaks inside. They think, this good news we have, it must be for them also. We have a living God, a God so full of life that even the Roman Empire's cross couldn't keep him dead. And they start to share with them also. That is a missionary heart. And God loves to give that heart to people. And you can always tell someone who has a missionary heart because they get incredibly excited about that word also. Have a look down in verse 20. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greek-speaking non-Jews also. And all through the history of the church, God has raised up people who are obsessed with that word also. They won't stop until everyone has heard because the gospel is also for everybody. So from Antioch, the gospel goes all over the Roman Empire. But at the same time, other people are taking it south to Sudan, uh, Nubia, modern-day kind of Ethiopia, that sort of area. At the same time, it's going east, um, India, the Persian Empire, uh, into parts of Central Asia, all over the world, there are people standing up and saying, the, the gospel is also for them, and I will go to them. Eventually, it ends up in this part of the world. There was a few false starts, but a really important date for Northumbria, 635 AD, an Irish monk called Aidan turns up because he believed that the gospel is also for the Anglo-Saxons. On the other side of the world, in exactly the same year, 635, there's a, uh, a guy called Alopen, turns up in the court of the, uh, the Tang Emperor in northern China because he believes that the gospel is also for the Chinese. And you can just repeat those stories again and again and again. All over the world, there have been people with that missionary heart who said the gospel is also for you and you and you because God loved the world in its whole, in its totality. But as we sang before, we are facing a task unfinished. There are places, there are people who have not heard this yet. And some of them are a long, long way away. Some of them are right here in Benwell. I want to have that mission heart. Sometimes I do and I feel it in my bones. And sometimes just life starts to crowd in and you're busy and you're tired and you're stressed and it's like it, it just fades, its importance fades from it. And can I just give you two tips that I found really helpful for keeping that mission heart alive, which, which, which wants the also. Two tips. One, surround yourself with people who have that same heart. Now that can mean meeting up to pray with people for the world, great way of doing it. A great way I've found Subscribe yourself to some missionary support letters. Find people and ask for their email. Ask for their newsletter. Just an amazing way to see what God is doing around the world. And it keeps that passion burning. But the second way, and this is way more important, get to know God better. 
Because the better you know God, the more you see he has this mission heart. It's where it comes from. I've got one of my favorite Bible verses is this one here. Uh, Isaiah 42 verse 6. And you feel like you're standing on holy ground when you read this. Because this is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, the servant, Jesus Christ. You're, you're literally listening in on a conversation within the heart of God. You're seeing his priorities, his desires. And this is what God says to his son. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Israel and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation would reach to the end of the earth. If I can put it this way, God is a God of all souls. He will also make his son a light for every single person on this earth. That is God's heart. He wants to give you that heart. He wants to give us as a church that heart for mission because God is a God of mission. And that leads me on to the third thing I want to notice here. Um, God's hand is at work. I said at the start that you don't get the names of the people who did this amazing work. Depending on how you look at it, that's not entirely true. Have a look in verse 21. There is one named person. There's one named missionary. Verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That repeated Lord there, just driving home. This is ultimately the Lord's work. It's the hand of the Lord which made the difference here. God is the missionary, and mission is his delight and his work. We, uh, we call this book that we're reading through at the minute, The Acts of the Apostles, not a bad title. Um, it's not original, though. That, that wasn't what Luke, when he wrote, he wrote it, he didn't say Acts of the Apostles at the start. That got added on uh, in the second century, I think. Um, but I wonder if a better title would be something like this. The Acts of the Hand of the Lord, working through the apostles, but also working through a whole load of other people, like those refugees who ended up in Antioch. Now, admittedly, a bit of a mouthful of a title, but way more accurate and also way more encouraging. Because if the hand of the Lord was at work then, if mission is God's mission, then we can expect to see the hand of the Lord at work today. Uh, there's a friend of ours, a lovely older lady from Kosovo, who um, she first came to faith uh, a bit after the war. She'd been a refugee during the political troubles. She'd been a refugee in Germany. And when she was there, for three nights, she had a dream of a man in shining white clothes. She couldn't see his face, it was too bright, but she knew there was something good, there was something totally trustworthy about this man. And every time she saw this dream, there was the same message from this man, come, follow me. But she didn't know who it was or what to do about it. After the war, when things calmed down in Kosovo, the German government moved her back with her family, and uh, she knew that she had to do something about this dream. And she felt moved to find some Christians because she felt they could explain it to her. She only knew of one church in the whole country because this church 
happened to have a bookshop, um, and the bookshop had a photocopier, uh, which people used to go to when they needed, you know, document photocopy. And that was the only way she'd ever heard about this place. And she goes into this church, she's standing next to the photocopier, she's feeling a bit awkward, and she talks to the person who's there working the bookshop. And as she's trying to figure out how to start the conversation, she looks up, and there's a picture of, uh, well, we call it the transfiguration of Jesus, when Jesus appeared in shining white light. And she says, who's that guy? I've met him. And long story short, she explains how he called him to follow and she has been following him faithfully and her family ever since. Can you see the hand of the Lord at every stage there? Moving her to Germany, sending this dream, moving her back to Kosovo, linking her up with one of the tiny number of churches because this church happened to have a photocopier. I mean, come on, photocopier ministry. Isn't God amazing? The hand of the Lord active at every stage and we have seen it. We've seen the hand of the Lord reaching people out of situations of hopelessness and despair. We've seen the hand of the Lord knocking down barriers to the gospel. We've also seen the hand of the Lord just gently leading people through the most horrific, difficult personal situations. And sometimes we felt, feels like the hand of the Lord just on your shoulder when you're wondering whether any of this is even worth it, where it just seems so hard, seems to be going so slow, just encouraging you. Maybe that's a, a message for someone here, I don't know, but um, one interesting thing in the book of Acts is it doesn't give you dates, it doesn't tell you when stuff happened, but when you try and uh, map it all up, it does look like this, uh, the founding of the church in Antioch did take a number of years. Maybe that's encouraging for someone. Even when the hand of the Lord is at work powerfully, sometimes it takes time. Maybe there's a situation you've been praying about or working on for years and you're starting to think, will this ever change? Take heart. Sometimes the hand of the Lord is moving slowly, deliberately, like a chess grandmaster, but he is working. And that's why I think the most simple but most profound application I can give you is this. Pray. Pray a lot. And pray like this. Wrestle in prayer, asking, begging the hand of the Lord to move. And keep asking and keep praying until he does, because he always will. He'll either change you or he'll change the situation. He might not answer in the way we're wanting, but he will always, always answer more wonderfully than we could imagine, because the hand of the Lord is at work just as he was then. I'm going to finish there, but may I just encourage you as a church, as individuals, the hand of the Lord is doing something and I believe he is at work in Benwell as well. Think and pray. How can you make yourself available? How can you hold on to that mighty arm that is saving people even now? How can you join in what God is doing in your family, in your neighborhood, in your city? For some of you, it might mean a significant move. For some of you, it might mean going a long way away. For some of you, it might mean going across the street. But where is God at work, and how can you join him? I'm just going to leave a time of brief silence now for you to think that through, and then I'm going to pray for us.
Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of mission. Thank you that you're at work in this world wonderfully. I pray, Lord, that when we can't see that, you would give us faith. I pray, Lord, that when we can see that more clearly, you would give us faith to join in. And I just want to lift before you all the people in this church family. I thank you for them deeply. They've been such a blessing and encouragement to us. And I do ask, Lord, please use them as your servants. Use them as your co-workers in the things that you are wanting to do in this place. And we ask this, that the name of the Lord would be glorified in this world. Amen.